Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high-achieving and ambitious mid-level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. It's so good to be back talking to you guys again. And I have another guest. You guys noticed that I've started having more guests. And this is a couple of a mixture of a couple of things. One of which is that getting to talk to somebody besides just hearing my own voice is pretty cool. I also am always looking for people who expand my base of knowledge, who can speak on topics that are not my area of expertise. And rather than me researching them and trying to come up with the content, let's go to the people who already know that content like the back of their hands. And I just think it's a nice sort of next evolution of the podcast as we get near 200 episodes. So today we have Dave Fano. Am I saying your last name right, Dave? Yeah, Fano. Fano. All right. Great. So he is, we're going to talk today about startups, which again, thought that was a great topic for you guys. In my practice, I get a lot of clients who are considering startups and I'm not an expert in them by any means. And so I'm, I'm curious about what I learned today. I'm hoping that I learn right along with you. So Dave, thank you, first of all, for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite. Well, why don't you start by telling them your story, introduce yourself to them. Yeah. So my name is Dave Fano. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Teal. And I got there in a pretty roundabout way, which is somewhat a big part of why I started the company is my career has been very nonlinear. I started as as an artist doing paintings and drawing. And I really thought that's where I was going to take my career, which then got some feedback from family and said, look, architecture is maybe more of a profession where you can bring in the creativity. So I studied architecture in school for seven years, worked as an architect, but really, I'd say discovered throughout the process, my real love for technology and the speed at which it can operate and how much potential it can unlock for people. So started a technology business, was very lucky to work with a company called WeWork. We ultimately sold our business to WeWork. And I was there for four years and saw a tremendous amount of growth. And it really opened up my eyes to the tech ecosystem and startups. And when I was coming to the end of my time there, yeah, I had some things in life. We're having our second child. I wanted to take a pause and think about some different things. Came up with, with this new business idea to really empower people to use technology to grow their careers. And that, that's what I focus on now. Very cool. I've been reading and listening to some podcasts about WeWork. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that you had been there. So now you're in this kind of tech world and and you've had some startups of your own. Can you kind of define for the audience what constitutes a startup? Because I think there's a pretty big range and, and sometimes people are thinking much more narrowly about startups than they could. And the other part of that question, I think, is what are the biggest draws to working at a startup? Yeah. So I think that there's kind of two 
major parts to that question is defining what is a startup you know, and what are the boundaries of that? And then even within that, what are the different stages of startups? Because they're very, very different. So I would say a startup in the way that most people think about it, right? Because a very literal definition could be any company that is starting up. But I think that there's usually a fairly high association with technology and high innovation and risk where, you know, like an architecture firm that is one year old probably wouldn't be considered a startup, even though there's a lot of, you know, fun, exciting things going on with that newness. But what I would say broadly is that the, the, the business is not like a sure shot thing, right? IBM isn't going anywhere. Coca-Cola isn't going anywhere. Now, obviously the world can change and big dynamic things happen, but you know, for all intensive purposes, those companies are here and they're not going to go anywhere. So with that definition, you know, something like Airbnb publicly traded, some people might still call Airbnb a startup because, you know, they're probably on like the very, very, very late a you know stage of what someone might call a startup. Someone might still consider Uber a startup again. I think that's like the most extreme, you know, far version of what a startup could be. And then the other extreme is, you know, a company that is a single person who's coding or using no code and building technology to prove something that's never been done before or a new idea. And that could be a startup. So to, to sum that up, I would say it's, it's tech-driven, innovation-driven probably more product centric than like service centric i.e like selling labor or consulting that's what, how i would sort of broadly define a startup and then i think next which is almost more important is a framework for how we think about startups and i always go to the definition that jeff busgang uses he's one of our investors he's a teacher at harvard's graduate school of business and he breaks startups into three buckets he calls it the jungle, the dirt road, and the highway. And, and <laughs> okay. I really like it because if a startup is in the jungle, they're not quite sure what they're doing yet. The path is not clear, right? They had an idea. They're, they're obviously working on that idea, but it's not guaranteed that the market wants it, right? That's one of the things with innovation is you, you want to put idea out there, the market takes it, doesn't take it. And I'd say there's a real important moment there that's called product market fit. When you have a product that the market wants, and there's a lot of different ways to measure that or to get a sense, you know, it's a little bit of a soft definition, but once you've made something and you can repeatedly get customers to use it, so we say you've achieved product market fit, then you move to the dirt road. The dirt road is, you know, there's, there's a path. It doesn't have clear boundaries. We can still cut, you know, still turn and make a new dirt road if we want to. But we've kind of got a sense of where we're going. And to put some numbers on it, you know, I'd say like one to 20 employees might be jungle, you know, 20 to 200 might be dirt road. And then, you know, 200 to a thousand, let's call it, is what Jeff would call the highway. It's like you've already figured it out. You're starting to go fast repeatedly. The roads are paved and it's about getting better, more efficient, introducing efficiency and scale. Now you're still going quickly. There's still a lot of unknown, but you're not, you know, an IBM or a Coca-Cola at that point. And the, so I like those three definitions. And there's there's funding stages and things like that that generally tend to 
map to those, but I like that definition better because it gives you a sense of like what it feels like to be there. So a couple questions come up from what you've just said. And one is, is the highway phase where the company starts bringing in revenue or is it not necessarily at that phase? And and you really alluded to the whole funding thing. So, and I think most people would know that you've got some sort of investors going on because you've got to be paying these people before you have a product that you're marketing. So talk about that. When does the revenue come in? Revenue is different. You know, depending on let's say the industry or field that the company is in, there are there are companies that have revenue on day one. They tend to be more B two B or business to business software. You know, they tend to be companies that sell into businesses as their client. Mm-hmm. On B two C or business to consumer, revenue can be a little bit different. You know, one of the the breakout successes recently was Clubhouse. You know, they don't have a revenue model yet, but they're valued at four billion dollars. Because they have a tremendous amount of engagement. They were getting hundreds of millions of people to sign up, maybe not hundreds, tens of millions of people to sign up for the software. And there's a belief that they'll be able to monetize that in the future. You know, I would say that's an outlier. That's you know not common. So revenue is depending on their model, they should have some clarity on revenue and that post-product market fit. So in the jungle. I'd say there should be very low revenue expectations because you're figuring out what your product is, what the market will pay for it, if they'll pay for it, how you can make money. In the dirt road, you're exploring how to make money. You know, you're you're optimizing how to make money. You're solidifying that strategy. And then on the highway, you're really systematizing that process because you're, you know, on the path to potentially going public or some sort of exit that will be that, you know, sort of big return on investment that the investors made and the sort of founding team made. This is interesting in that we, I kind of thought about this topic being from working there, which is mainly what we're going to talk about here in a moment. But I think you're also setting a nice phase for people who might be out there listening and that they have an idea that they want to bring to the market and kind of understanding the startups. Of course, we're not going to go deep there. I'm sure there are other podcasts that cover that in depth, but it is interesting for me to think in that perspective that it's also for the folks who might want to start a startup. All right. So what are the biggest, in in terms of working at a startup, what are the big draws there? Why are people interested in it? What's the draw? So I'd say the biggest draw is the ability to accelerate the pace of learning. What I've seen is as companies have gotten bigger, more stable, they get more functional and more specialized, which is great. And that might be what's right for a person. And so I think it's important to me that I'm not saying one is better than the other. I am, have sort of on the record said that I think everyone should try to work at a startup at least once. You know, you can find the right stage of startup, but you just get to touch a lot of things. You know, and again, as companies get bigger, they get more specialized. You could go from being a someone who just purchases Facebook ads and like that is your super specialty to someone who works on every form of marketing. So the smaller the startup, probably the broader the breadth of topics that you can engage in. But the pace of iteration the ability to work with a lot of people, I'd say that that's one is the learning is really accelerated, assuming you pick the right startup. Right? Not, not all startups are created equal, but I think that's generally something you'll see. 
And the other is the relationships you build. I think, you know, we commune and build bonds over shared struggle and startups are hard. You know, build any, starting any business is hard. And I have a ton of respect for entrepreneurs and small business owners because starting a business is hard. Not every day is guaranteed. You know, getting customers, all those things are very, very difficult. And being there in those early days, helping figure that out through the ups and downs, you just build incredible relationships. And and those are relationships that will sort of pay dividends for the rest of your career. Because especially if you pick startups that are winners, one of the things I recommend to people is that they think like an investor and they try to pick startups that will have a big return. If you were one of those first 50 employees at Google or Facebook or Airbnb or, you know, or Stripe now that hasn't gone public yet, those companies and that time on your resume will pay off forever. Because it talks about your ability to pick a company, the people that you were there with, you know, probably your proximity to the founders and the entrepreneurs that started those companies. So those things pay off forever. So I'd say the relationships and the learning are, are two of the key things that probably differentiate it. Again, that's not to say that you can't learn a lot at a company like IBM. And it's always very important to me that I'm not saying that any of those is better than the other. I just think that there's, it happens maybe more often in a startup than it might at a big company. This ties in nicely to what I have told clients before, which I think the biggest thing is I hadn't thought about the relationships. It makes total sense because oftentimes everyone is working in kind of one space, coming in your jeans and your t-shirts or probably your pajamas, if that's what floats your boat. And we're all just going to get after it. So there's that connection. There are no tiers or hierarchies. The one thing that I've always talked about is the ability to wait. There are no there are no boxes that define your job in the typical startup, as opposed to, as you mentioned earlier, you're very, oftentimes you get in a company as big as IBM and you are working very deep in a very narrow lane, if that makes any sense. Whereas you might put on, you know, 17 different hats in the typical day in a startup. So if you love that breadth and you love the variety and the kind of unknown and the pace then it sounds like a startup is a, a great fit for you. Am I, am I hitting that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for me, when I talk to folks making career decisions and thinking about careers, I think the world's moving too fast and there's too many exciting things to do to put so much pressure and so much weight on career decisions as these things that are permanent. And so I think. For some reason, I just see everyone, that's a very broad generalization, but make, trying to make career decisions in these very permanent and one-way door type things. It's like, okay, well, if I pick this career, like I'm all in. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true. We're going to work for 40 years so or more, right? Retirement age is going further and we mm-hmm. want to work. We get purpose and meaning from being in work that we love doing. I think it gets complicated when we want to get paid for it, but that's just the world we live in. That doesn't mean you can't absolutely love your work. So giving a, a, a startup a try, you know, saying, look, I'm going to go in for a year. And we all have this sense in our head. So I'm going to be look like a job hopper if I'm only there for a year. Start, a lot of times startups don't even make it a year. 
And job searching is not enjoyable. No one looks forward to doing that. So that's a big part of it. They want it to be steady and stable. But if the timing is right in your life and you can go work at a startup and you know take a swing at something big, you won't forget it. And I, I really often feel like you won't regret it. I love that. I love, I love the idea of what I used to talk to my college students about when I was in college career services was dating careers, right? So I tell them with a bachelor's degree, all I want you to do is go date a career out of college and date it for a couple of years and break up with it and then go date another career. And then the analogy that I always used was if you get a master's degree, then you're kind of getting engaged. So there's a little bit more commitment to a certain career field, maybe depending on your master's degree. And then of course they could kind of extrapolate what a PhD meant <laughs> from my analogy. So, you know, put a ring on it. So there is more, which is not to say you can't get a divorce from your PhD career, but there is a stronger level of commitment. But yeah, I, I could see the relief in my students' faces when I told them that they weren't trying to make a 40-year decision. They were trying to make a decision on what they wanted to do first for a couple of years and that we weren't having to figure out the rest of our lives. So I totally get that. We've talked about the, the draws and the benefits of working at a startup. And I think that you can kind of extrapolate what those downsides are in some cases. But why don't you talk to us a little bit about what maybe the downsides of working on a startup are? So what I often say is the highs are high and the lows are low at startups. You know, there's maybe times of steadiness, but if it's a lot of steadiness, it's probably not a startup anymore. <laughs> so the, the lows are, you know, from the extremes are it doesn't make it. You know, you pour your heart and soul into this thing beyond getting a paycheck. You really believe in the mission. You want to make it happen. And for some reason, you can't crack it. Just cannot figure out how to get customers to sign up, cannot figure out how to get customers to pay, can't figure out a business model. And there is tons of really wonderful products, companies that meant well, sort of written in the history books that just did not make it. And so I think that's, you know, as much as we want that certainty, you know, to some of, to, to your point, you know, I think a lot of people really approach a job like a matrimony. <laughs> Very few people go into a job with an understanding that it is going to end, right? Empirically, it is going to end unless you are, you know, the one in, you know, let's say a hundred thousand who actually works at one company for the rest of your life, it's going to end, you know, unlike marriages, we, that, that would be really unfortunate, right? That wasn't the plan. That's not the vow and the commitment I made. But that's not what happens with a job. You know, people are going to have 10 to 15 jobs over the course of their career. So, but that stinks. It still stinks when a company doesn't make it, especially because you work so hard and it's a piece of you that helped build this thing. So I'd say that's, that's really stinks. You know, I think that another one is there's a lot of turnover in startups and you might want to say it's oh because they don't have a good culture or because they don't have a this, like I, that those might be true. But startups are iterating very, very quickly. You know, they might do a full pivot as, if it, as it's called often and change the business model, change different things, which might mean they have to change in the makeup of the talent and abilities they need, which will result in turnover. And you, you know, I often say the relationship between an employee and a company is commercial. It's a commercial relationship. We're just doing it under this form called salary. But my relationship with the people is personal. 
And it, it stinks to lose those. And it hurts to see a friend, you know, leave the company. But you know, and I see this all the time. You could still pick up the phone and hang out with that person, but there's something about your work friends that you know they're just there every day, and you're in it together. And so those things really hurt, and and they're unfortunate, and then they bring us down. And so I'd say that's another thing that happens in startups. You kind of got to be ready for that. Again, the, the later stage, the company and things like that, the the less those are going to happen. So I think it's sort of depending on on your appetite for that level of volatility, volatility, but also potential excitement. So I'd say those are the big ones, you know, preparing yourself for failure at the various levels and, and being able to accept that and sort of a, see those as opportunities for growth. I think the flip side of the failure is you can also anticipate that if there is success and the company is acquired, I have a client that I'm working with right now who was instrumental. He was the first non-founding member of this Tech medical tech device startup, and they sold to a very large healthcare product provider. And so he's in this interesting place of we were so successful that now I'm out of work. <laughs> it's funny how that happens, right? There are these, you know, being an acquisition, being acquired can be a very exciting and exhilarating thing, but then you could be redundant. Mm-hmm. So that brings a tremendous amount of uncertainty. You know, I'd say that's the other part of startups is there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of things moving very, very quickly. And you know, I could easily sort of talk about both sides of it, you know, from the founder entrepreneur perspective of wanting to share information, but knowing that that would probably create more angst than it's worth. Worth isn't the right word. Then people should feel because you just don't know if it's going to happen or not. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you know, being a team member at a startup and be like, well, I want to know everything so I can make better decisions. And so it's it's a tricky balance. And and so I think you know a core thing in startups is trust and having a high sense of trust or high, high trust in the leadership team in the team that's there. You know, and say so like the less systems and infrastructure the more trust you got to have. And and then the inverse of that is the more trust you have, the less systems and infrastructure you need. And I think that's what makes for a really great startup when everyone knows their mission aligned, they're working on the same things. There's an assumption of best intent and high trust at the team. So we've got the downside of it could be a failure. We've got the downside of it could be a success and that could land us out of a job. And then it could be that as the company grows at this very rapid pace, what they need is different and I become unnecessary. My skill set is no longer a good fit for whatever's going on with the company. So I may be, you know, either pushed out or I may feel the need to leave because my my role is changing or is becoming obsolete or whatever the case may be. All right. So we have had this startup. We've worked in a startup for a couple of years. We're moving on. I'm curious about what is different about going back into the corporate world after this. So let's just say you've been in corporate, you take this startup, now you're leaving. What are some of those challenges in looking for a job after you've been in a startup? So one thing is going to be the pace. From what I've seen, from people that have made the switch from working in startups to we'll call more corporate is the pace is different. And that might be a welcomed change 
or it might not be, or it may be one of those things you didn't realize you liked. You know, it's like, oh, well, look, the pace and volatility of startups is too much for me. But then you go into a corporate environment that operates at a different pace. And you're like, oh, wow, now I'm actually kind of bored. <laughs> and so I've seen that, you know, that, that would be a, you know, potentially like a, one of the challenges in a transition. I'd say probably more procedure, not always. Yeah, you know, I'm obviously generalizing here, but you're probably going to see a little bit more procedure, policy, infrastructure. Yeah, you know, they they've got bigger HR departments. They've got, you know, the ways that things need to happen. They've got probably more involved hiring processes. And you know, with a startup, you might be able to, if it's early enough, reach out to a founder directly on a Twitter DM or a LinkedIn DM or get their email. You know, once a company is bigger and they've got sourcers and then recruiters and then hiring managers and then a hiring committee. And then, you know, you could be doing six, seven interviews as companies get bigger because there's more consensus. So I just think you generally see more process, potentially, you know, leading into more bureaucracy. And and I think bigger companies are more prone to office politics than startups. And again, I, I, I don't like talking about these things in absolutes because I think I've seen very political, very bureaucratic little startups. But what I'll tell you is what I've seen is that those founders probably came from a big company and that was their known. And so that's what made them comfortable. So they reinstituted it and they probably just did it too soon. That's kind of an area where I've seen that. And so I think those are things to look out for in big companies. And those things might be comforting for you, right? Knowing that those systems and processes are there might give you a better sense. Okay, now I understand the lay of the land and I like operating in that where a startup didn't have that. And that made me incredibly uncomfortable. So I think they're different. I don't think it's better or worse, but I think those are some things to look out for is, you know, more structure. It's going to slow it down a little, you know, higher higher management for risk, or, or another way to say that is lower risk tolerance. Those are things you'll probably see, or you're likely to see in a more corporate environment. And they're just going to expect you more. In general, they're going to expect you to stay in your lane more, and they're not going to welcome you coming up with an idea for a completely different department that you have nothing to do with. That's not going to be probably accepted or, or appreciated, whereas it's kind of the the delay of the land when you're talking about startups, you're looking at everything. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that there's, there's just a lot of things at play. There's hierarchy, there's identity, you know, there's career pathing. It's, it's a very bizarre construct that we've created in that, you know, my career growth, if I'm following my path, well, I mean, there's two things. If I'm following my path or I'm not, if I'm following my path, which is, which is ideally what the company wants me to do, grow in my function, well, if the company's not growing and there isn't more leadership positions created, the only way for me to do that is through my manager. And my manager is the person who's reviewing me and sort of helping me grow. So there's this you know, somewhat tension between my growth and the person who, if they're like, say, so if my manager doesn't get promoted, then there's no room for me to get promoted. So everything really has to be in perfect sync with the company, with my manager, and with me for me to get the growth that I'm looking for. And there's something about you know, startups where those things just matter less. They tend to be less hierarchical. You know, it's really just about achieving the objective. 
where big companies, it becomes a little bit more about identity preservation, making sure that, you know, I am doing what I need to be because so, so I can get my reviews because we've got 360 reviews, which are complicated and happen twice a year. And, you know, yeah. and there's just all these things that get kind of complicated that result in people sort of managing for identity. And it's a little bit of like this kind of, you know, Darwinistic experiment of survival <laughs> to keep your job. And so it just, there's just so many more of those things at play as companies get bigger and, and it's hard to learn them all and get a sense of what was there, what wasn't there. You know, some companies might have it more than others. You might hear of some companies being highly political or others are are really not at all. And so, so I'd say it's like if someone's thinking about making the transition from startups to corporate, to try to discern as much of that before they get there. Do informational interviews that, with people that work there, with people that used to work there. You know, learn about your manager. There's a reason people say that people leave, comp- leave managers mm-hmm. and not companies. Yeah, I think the bigger the company gets, the less it's about the company itself and more about the person that you work for and that your manager and, and they're really shepherding your career. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about all of the interviews that I had when I was in higher education and I was hiring in most cases a coordinator. So I was the director of two university career centers and there is, and I can't paint this with a broad brushstroke, but in my experience, very little career pathing going on in higher education. So you get in a job and if you want to move up, you almost have to move over and up into another function. And how many people would come in and they would say, you know, well, I, you know, I'd ask them about where they see themselves in five years. And they're like, well, I'd like to be, you know, the director. (laughs) Like, well, guess what? It's already taken and I'm not going anywhere. And so that was definitely a red, a red mark against them. Whereas in other corporations, it would be a a mark against you if you weren't wanting to move up and weren't ambitious in that regard. So knowing that culture and understanding it before you go in even to the interview is is so important before you stick your foot in your mouth. All right. So we've got some folks out there, I'm sure, who are interviewing with startups. I want to think from here for a moment. I want to hear your thoughts about what are some of the things they should be looking for as they talk to these startups. So I call them green lights or green flags, right? And then conversely, what are some of the red flags they should be on the lookout for? So for green flags, which I love that concept, I'll go back to you know this, this advice that I give is think like an investor. If you had the ability to angel invest, which is what they call individuals that invest in in startups, and I said, here's $5,000 that you could put into this company, would you do it? Do you think that is a better return on investment than putting it in the stock market? Because that's how investors think about startups. If, If it's an early stage startup, you know, they're looking at a 10 to 100x return as they deploy their capital. The later the stage, the lower the returns because companies can't grow at that exponential rate anymore. And so that's what I try to tell people. To, you know, I try not to get, obviously there's like very literal things I can tell folks to look out for, but in these early stage companies, like, do you think they're going to make it? Not so much for like your longevity and that you're going to stay there for them to make it, but that you believe in the product that they're making. You believe in the problem they're trying to solve for. You believe in the team that is trying to tackle these problems. If you would take money out of your pocket to invest in this company, then you're probably going to enjoy working there because they're doing something that you've got conviction about. 
And for me, that's number one, is that do you have conviction about the problem they're trying to solve? Because otherwise, it's going to be very hard to stomach these other things that come with the startup. So, you know, is it a domain or industry you're excited about? Is it a product you would use yourself? I think those things are, are key. Then next, start to do your diligence on the team because the product and the idea can change. Ideally, they stick to the same mission, but the actual how and what they do, there's a high likelihood that'll change and, and they'll iterate. So what will be constant is the people. Is it a team that you want to be sort of locked in arms with to try to solve this problem? Is the founder someone that has had success before, has, you know, has a reputation for being helpful and teaching people and investing in people? Or are they someone who's really like task and objective centric and you know, they're a little more ruthless with cutting when they need to? I'll, I'll go out and say neither is better or worse. You just got to know what you're signing up for. But I would say I'd look at the track record of the team. And then I would look at some other things like what is their funding to date, right? So that's a great signal. What have other investors, you know, people that are professionals and do this day in and day out as essentially betting on companies, how many, you know, what is the caliber? Is it investors with a great track record? Doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I'd say it is an indicator. If you've got an investor that's successfully picked winners, well, that's a great signal that they had confidence in this startup. So that should give me a good sense that no guarantee it's going to make it, but you know, people that are pros at this think it's going to make it. So that's a good signal for me as well. I'd say those are three that I like. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of what to look for. So I, I thank you for that, that feedback. So, all right. So we've given you guys a lot to think about in terms of what is a startup? What are the benefits and the what's the kind of the underbelly of working in a startup? How do you transition back into the corporate world if you choose to do that? And then what should you be looking for as you interview with startups? Is there anything else that you want them to know about the startup world? Yes, I think folks, we didn't, we sort of talked about it a little bit, but we didn't talk about it explicitly is the transition from corporate to startup. Mm, Yes. And, you know, it's kind of the inverse. Some of those things you're looking, you know, to the red flags when you go to corporate from a startup, but I've seen enough times now where people come from corporate to a startup and they expect process and they expect structure and they don't get it. And it really throws them off. Mm. And so where at a big corporate job, you can kind of get away with waiting to be told what to do. There's an ability to somewhat coast, let's call it. Not always. I want to be very careful that I'm not like painting all these things with, you know, with such a broad brush. There's people that are, you know, there, there's corporations where people are right on top of it and there is no coasting. So all I'm saying is I got a big company. It might be a little easier to do something like that or, or the pace of it, you know, might be, or even it's just not expected. When you go to a startup, everyone's kind of in it. So things like work-life balance might be a little bit different. Now, I often use this like scuba diving analogy. There's only so much air in the tank. And with big companies, they've got lots of tanks with lots of air. <laughs> Startups have very little air in a very small tank. And that, you know, that air is cash. And when it runs out, there's no more company. So they either can go raise more. And so there is a, a little bit more of this like 
fight or flight life death, you know, life or death of the company thing at startups that it just kind of permeates. So, you know, being ready for that intensity. Yeah, I think company, you know, we try to do a really good job with work-life balance at Teal, but, you know, we also understand that, you know, every day is kind of a gift as we're trying to crack this thing and and build a company that's going to help millions of people build incredible careers, but it's not guaranteed right now. So you just may have to go the extra mile sometimes. And so I think those are some of the changes that, you know, someone should be ready for. And if you're excited for that and you want to be part of an early team and sort of getting your hands on a lot of things and you're excited to work, you know, pretty hard, then, you know, then that might be a good switch. I think the message here is that to work in a startup, you have to be okay with ambiguity. You have to be very flexible. There is no such phrase as that's not in my job description because you may not even have a job description. And if you do, there's that old catchphrase and other duties as assigned. (laughs) (laughs) And you can pretty well expect that that's going to happen on a daily, if not hourly basis. So I hope we we have given you guys some food for thought about startups. Dave, this has been an absolute pleasure. Why don't you tell the listeners how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm most active on Twitter. I'm at David Fano, F-A-N-O. Then I'd say I'm second most active on LinkedIn. So it's LinkedIn slash in slash David Fano. You can find me on either of those. I'm very responsive and I try to engage as much as I can. And then you can learn more about Teal at www.teal hq.com. That's Teal like the color T E A L and then HQ because Teal.com was taken. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I thank you again so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure the listeners will be reaching out to you because you gave them great food for thought today. Thanks so much for having me. I love talking about careers and and startups in particular. And you know, maybe we'll do another one another time about uh, how to start a startup. Oh, I love that idea. I love that. I, I definitely, I guess I don't fit as a startup in, in my business because it's not technology-based. It is a service. But definitely an entrepreneur and uh, love playing in the sandbox with other entrepreneurs. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's why I think the definition is a funny thing, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's like high ambiguity. I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's an arbitrary thing. I, I, I like to abstract it and think about it as little companies, but you know, I guess there's some value in defining what a startup is with the tech centric, but you know, I'm sure every day for you is not guaranteed and small business <laughs> is tough. And so, you know, if someone comes and works with you, they got to be ready to try a lot of things and wear a lot of different hats. And so, you know, I would say you meet, you know, you check the boxes on the definition of a startup for me, but, you know, for the broader sense, and I think the way people are thinking about the careers, maybe it's helpful to, to put those parameters around it. Well, thank you so much for this. And, and you guys reach out to Dave if you have questions for him or check out Teal HQ and we'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.